Oh yeah, this is way better. It's way better. And I think we're good. Okay, ready to start? Yeah, are you okay? Oh yeah. You're looking a little... I'm looking right at you. I know, but your neck. Is your neck okay? My neck will be okay. Okay. I'll figure yeah. it out. As a you team. look comfy and cute. Thank you. You as well. Two comfy, cute guys. Hello and welcome. I know the listeners actually, they heard that we're two comfy, cute guys. They're like, <laughs> it's when will it end? It's two comfy, cute guys. That should, should be the subtitle? Yeah. When, when will, will it end? end, colon, two, two comfy, comfy, cute guys. Too comfy, too cute? That's the sequel. When we, when we get the gang back together for another podcast heist. Okay. But now, what is it? So Charles, confused. legendary director Todd Phillips, who made a little movie called Joker Man, famously said that it was a heist movie. Because he said, I'm going to make a superhero movie. But he didn't really make a superhero movie. He made a twisted, fucked up view into the dark soul. Wait, it's a heist of humanity. Movie? Like he's saying, he's saying it's a heist for me to have made this movie. Oh god, that was confusing. It was confusing. Yeah, that was very confusing. You know, it's confusing. I know. I'm That's, sorry. Why uh, am I apologizing? You should be sorry. No, no, you're a dullard, and you should apologize for that. I firmly believe that the film we're discussing this week for When Will It End, the movie podcast where we watch the movies, we start at the beginning, we ask, is they good? And we go down through the whole franchise right. to see. Start with eleven. Go to twelve. Go to thirteen. Go to eight. The classic trajectory. Are they good? Are they good? And we ask ourselves, is the common, the commonly accepted concept that uh, sequels and franchises are inherently stupid and annoying, good or bad, or whatever, or we forget that often and then just talk about uh, Survivor, soccer, the weather, things happening in our lives. It's a good even, show. I'm not going to point. I'm not going to do it today. Okay. I think we did watch a heist movie in Ocean's huh. 12 because... Mr. Stevie Sodes took everyone's expectations, and he ran right out the fucking door. Wait, what did he did he leave them behind or take them with? No, he him took them to like, the bank. Uh, I'd like well, to cash in these expectations, please. I'm saying he like stole, he heisted them, hoist. He hoisted. Oh, so they them. were in the bank already. Uh, and the but the, what he stole is our expectations. Yeah, is that, like, is that coming across? My heart. Your you stole your heart. I'm heartbroken. Yeah. Oh. Usually no, it's good when someone steals your heart. Like that's weird. I want no, my heart where it is. But that's the, isn't love just like this uh, like dance we do. This little dance we do. Yeah, heartless mm. dance or a heart. <laughs> so Ocean's Twelve. You'd never seen it before. Never. Uh, I had not seen it in years, though I had seen it prior. I have to say, very quickly in this franchise, we've reached. A transcendent kind of sequel in my mind. Absolutely. Where if the first movie is like this flawless, smooth, effortless expression of like suavity and cool and just debonair things happening in this sort of like endlessly satisfying click, 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 taking the, the 60s Rat Pack Vegas aesthetic and giving it a modern sheen. This is a shaggy, messy, dense deliberately frustrating and disappointing, delightful, genuinely funny movie that is full of surprises constantly. It's in my mind, like, you know, we're going to get into it. This was not well received. People. Really? Oh, yeah. I didn't even check. Yeah. I'm, the, it's not surprising, though, because uh, it's not really made. I mean, we started with four. Places. We started with four people and we ended the movie with two people. I believe uh, I, I'm trying to remember the exact. Here we go. I think this sort of sums it up neatly. The the Metacritic uh, summation that they offer, the critical consensus. Sorry for Rotten Tomatoes. Mm, uh, while some have the found the latest star-studded heist flick to be a fun, glossy star vehicle, other declare it's lazy, self-satisfied, and illogical. As a 55 on Rotten Tomatoes, um, I think that is the opinion of uh, of uh, a dipshit, a dumb dipshit. <laughs> That's just my hot take. Oh. Can I? I just quickly went to the sort of what's it called? A compass or a a cultural compass? The beacon on which we all sort of venture to see which way it's pointing. Uh, one Roger Ebert. Ah, Roger Ebes. Uh, three out of four stars from Raji. Okay. Well, no, this is made for Raji because like his his melted brain is <laughs> like it's like oh there were cars and fun. It reminded me of being a boy. <laughs> oh my God! There were car quote. <clears throat> There were cars. There were fun. It reminded me of being a boy. 
You can talk like imagine you're projecting to an audience. Look at the fucking recording. You're just like you're talking quietly and slept on. But just slept on one of Amy's squishmallows, and I woke up this morning and my neck is all fucked up. A squishmallow is a fun toy for a couch. It is not a a pillow. I know, but but talk like you're talking to an audience. Amy stole so many of them that I like. You either have to eradicate them from the bed. You're ratting out your fiance on air. About what? You just said she stole the Squishmallows. Oh, I'll just beep it out. Okay. She fucking <laughs> Squishmallows. Amy was just fucking so many Squishmallows. <laughs> I don't think that's... I mean... You should bleep all of that, because then people will wonder... Just beep the whole episode so far? At this point, yeah. That would be an incredible avant-garde piece of podcasting. Right. See, now now you're talking like a normal person, and my ire is briefly... I think... Can I, can I help you? I, I started that joke, and I hated it as soon as I started it, so I got embarrassed and okay. quieted down. It was a bad idea. What was the, the uh, Roger Ebert? Yeah, quote? just saying that he'd said what you said. And no, that was like, that's fine. Okay, I didn't like it as soon as I started it. Commit I'm gonna, to the bit. You got to commit to the. That's bit. true. He references uh, Bob Le Flambeau, you know, classic French piece of shit movie. I don't like Melville, man. Um, I don't know enough about Melville to really say you, much. I don't think you like. We watched one of his movies. Did, did you do Le Samurai? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I've actually come around to liking the Samurai, but not like in the sense that it was fun to watch, but I, I get the choices. Like, to, to his credit, I guess maybe the ultimate compliment is that I can vividly remember a few shots from that movie, which is nice. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Um, but overall, I find him to be sort of idiotic and annoying. Well, and again, as a as a, this is you speaking of your country people, so... I'm allowed. Yeah. Um, do you want to do a brief... Your, I know this is going to be a week out, but Eurovision, like that's a pretty big deal, and it's sort of no. What Eurocorner? Yeah, just a little one. Okay. I mean, we're speaking of French people. Yeah. Um, we hung hang out with an Australian fellow, my friend Nick from Mel- from outside of Melbourne. Um, yeah, we can do a little Eurocorner. Uh, my, my friend Nick was visiting the states. He, I met him at Maryland Death Fest. Lovely chap, and he taught me how to use Uber. 2014 or something really i'd like never used uber before oh, and that's so cute at the time in baltimore it was like literally like two dollars to go anywhere in the city it was sick it was so cheap uh but anyway so so he's a big eurovision fan so he was like look i'm gonna be up for you know the weekend but saturday i have something i have to do and i gotta watch the eurovision finals and i was like you know what i've never done it before it's always been sort of like in my head, it's just like an ABBA stage show that goes on for four right. hours, That's, which is too. basically not far from what it is. But, you know. Mm, I mean, it's a competition. It's a competition. But they, 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 ABBA competed, ABBA, ABBA competed in Eurovision. I think it's ABBA. Right, right. But an ABBA concert, ABBA. I think it's ABBA. I think you're right, but I keep saying ABBA. Well, in Hebrew, ABBA means dad. Do you think they're called daddy? No. No. So it's I don't Abba. think they're called. So I think it's, it's very Swedish. So, so, yeah, I invited Charles over because I was like, this is just the sort of cultural so-and-so that my dear friend Charles would find compelling. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you're right. I, we sat down for like four or five hours and had a pretty awesome afternoon. I had a great time. I really enjoyed Eurovision. Yeah, it was, uh, I think it's, I left maybe, I couldn't, I don't know what else could have happened. <laughs> and it went on for another like two hours. So I left at like the three hour point. I think you left around the point where they start doing the voting. and I, the f- Yeah, I saw two like performances by other bands that weren't in the competition i was like right. okay i think then in that case you basically saw the meat of it in the sense that uh you could or walk away with your own impression the satan of it oh for christ's sake the vegetable of it um our favorites of the year i'll go first i thought greece was the best i really liked that sort of like weird greek lord yeah. energy and i love lord and that, that that young lady was awesome um Sweden did a sort of classic Swedish style Robin like disco ballad arena banger that I it was awesome. And then I give my third place, though, the, the fans and judges really did not seem to swing at this. The weird cosmic uh, country uh, by Sister, the Icelandic band. Yeah, they all thought uh, it was boring or whatever. Uh, pardon? They thought, it seemed like they were just bored by it. They had nothing really to say about it. I really, I liked it. I would say of all the bands, of all the performances, that was the band most likely, and I said this at the time, that I would be like, oh, I'd, I'd buy a ticket to go see right. Seastar uh, play their Icelandic cosmic it? country. Because it's S-Y-S-T-U-R. Seastar. Yeah, see? <laughs> You're right. That's but it, it. It, it was fun. I had a blast. I had a blast watching it. What, what were some of your favorites? So I think I'm going to do the opposite because I think we're pretty much in agreement. You know, I think we like the same ones. I'm going to highlight my people as doing the most bonkers like 
I don't even know how to describe this without being racist. So maybe I'll just won't, but just like, that's a great decision. They appropriated things that aren't French to do their own little French thing. And then it's also, it's, I don't know. I don't it know. seemed like it leaned into France's colonial relationships right. yeah. in a way where like Northern Africa, right? Which I'm not sure. I think it walks that fine line between like highlighting, you know, uh, marginalized groups within the French world. But at the same time, it's a little hard to not be like, is this also continuing to exploit this relationship that obviously is really fucked up? I, I mean, also judging from the way they actually, like, it's so funny how we, I don't know. I remember I tell I'm a European citizen. They're always like, oh, you should get your EU citizenship, like your passport so you can leave if America ever gets too bad. I'm like, do you know what French does to their immigrants? It's do you know what French does to their immigrants? Do you? Do you know what French does? You should look into it. French is not good to their French immigrants. French is not good. Yeah. No one you, is. You think uh, Islamophobia and anti-Semitism is bad in America? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it's not even questioned in Europe. Yeah. It's like, this is the right way to deal with them. Right. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to just not bother to get my French passport and just live it out in the US of A. Yeah, sure. Um other particularly bad ones. So I guess England has a particularly bad run at Eurovision. But they got second place. No, that's what I'm saying. Space this, this, got second place. This fucking absolute I'm chode. Space. Yeah, wearing like a stupid jumpsuit thing. He's like, if I'm a, he's like, what if I'm, a, I'm imagining I'm a spaceman. I'd and be I'm an astronaut space. or something. <laughs> it was really terrible. Yeah, I guess like again, like it does seem like there's this aesthetic to Eurovision of like this is a a, a profoundly cheesy big pop thing, and like I'm not against that, but this was a very unimaginative. I think version that's the problem that. is the British don't do that well. Like they are sad, quiet, and wet. That's what they excel. But what about at. like Spice Girls and shit, man? That's buoyant, mm-hmm. joyous music. Oh, maybe I, I mean, I, most of the music that I like from England are by damp, uh, bedraggled-looking people. Thank you for, for. Yeah, I don't have. I don't have an antithesis to your antithesis about the Spice Girls. I think you're right. Like I think when I think of England, my heart goes to Hawkwind, White House, sure bands that are and not like going to be in Eurovision. And then all their comedy is like funny but it's dark it's wet it's gloomy and this was really so unabashedly bright and sparkly and saccharine but it's that not it was... like the spice girls i think actually have that in them this guy just seemed like he was faking it he well, seemed the, like the spice girls have that, that wonderful guy. wink of yeah. like you know yeah and this was there's no winking going on no or if there was winking it was annoying winking not the good winking what's an annoying wink do you think like Ugh. oh yeah that sucked i a hated big... that stop it yeah like, you, so you, you want to like yeah a little guy. Or like eh, Eh? Chip the bell. You know, little pip in the jaw. Not like a, ah. Right. Yeah. There's that Monty Python skit about the annoying winker. Yeah. And no, we're not talking about Jesse Winker of the Seattle Mariners, who famously antagonizes Mets fans at City Field, no matter what team he's on. No, he's not in Monty Python's Flying he's Circus. True, he's on the Seattle Mariners, yeah. who are funny, but often not for the same deliberate reasons right. as Monty Python. You can listen to our Patreon episode about that. You can. It's good. We watched John Boyce's majestic documentary, uh, The History of the Seattle Mariners. Other bad performances we did not like. Um, well, can I maybe do a middle of the road one? Okay. Um, Spain had so much ass. It was great, but uh mediocre otherwise so yeah the, the, on the tapas menu that day was ass because <laughs> yeah. the Euro- and nips too the guys were some reason not showing any ass but it had full like rib cage torso nip area glittered to fuck there was a big trend of of shirtless men nips out covered in body glitter which yeah. again that's what we wear for every record so it's nice to see that we're having some sort of cultural right. impact across we were the saying pond. that you can relate when it's relatable you get it if in Ocean's 12, they uh, all the men had been wearing shirts that ended slightly above their areolas and had been slathered in body glitter. Can I try to segue out of Euro Corner into Ocean's 12? Is there any, just before we go, is there okay. anything else we want to say about Eurovision? Um, okay, the, uh, I'm just going to say it. The Ukraine thing is like <sighs> whatever. Like, I'm not going to tell Eurovision how to Eurovision, and I understand that political solidarity. Well, it's a people's vote, too. So it's like, a people's vote. I don't think the. I didn't really look it. Read wasn't about it wasn't the best song. It was the best hat. Yes, the the guy had his the best fucking costume. Sick, uh, fuzzy pink bucket hat. Yeah, but like it was Everyone's a white wearing... rap group. Like, right. It's... I understand standing by a country that you feel like is being wronged, and for obviously it's bad to be invaded. But uh, <laughs> obviously, but that said, like it is a little 
it's so European to reward like a stupid white rap song. Yeah, <laughs> like, to try to make a political point. Like, it's yikes! It's a good Greek point. was Greece was robbed. I really feel. Yeah, Greece or Sweden. I, I knew Iceland Greece, was never going to win, yeah. but Greece and Sweden both were like, if those either of those had won, I'd be like, okay. The Czech Republic was a nice starter. It got yeah. me in the mood. I hey, was the first shot of the whole thing was the guy's fucking modular synth setup. That was cool as that's hell. That's true. Yeah. I, yeah, it was cool. I think if the show had started with a the wolf one even though that was norway is incredible uh i think the check was like the perfect intro to what eurovision should be as someone who'd never the one thing i've seen is like when you're on netflix and you are stuck because your controller stopped working you get stuck on that will ferrell movie and you have to watch like a 30 second trailer and and big ups to netflix because uh videos that start automatically are the everyone's favorite thing about the internet it is like when when you're somewhere being sarcastic but that is and a video just starts playing that you haven't elected to watch or listen to can i ask you a question sure do you use tiktok no see this is why we'll never use tiktok because that is tiktok as you scroll and then a video you don't want starts playing no no but that but that's the whole thing with tiktok if i open like say a local news website and i'm just like quietly reading an article and after some uh, invisible buffering ends a fucking ad starts blasting but it's like a netflix when you're like fucking i don't understand who wants that well people that want the same like this is the thing is tiktokers why did you get TikTok? That? That's a video platform. So is the Netflix. Right, but that's it's where you're like thing. going through a I'm saying, library. I'm just saying ne- TikTok is the ultimate expression of contr- like losing that control. Like I think millennials and Gen Xers are very much about like curating their shit. They want the fucking vinyl. They want the book. They want to be in control of the thing they have. And I think Gen Z is this new type of person that is just like excited by and willing to not have control over everything that they have in their life and they're just like seeing so much new stuff i i'm scared by it i find it assaultive and annoying and i never have sound on my phone so it's just i'm not the right audience but it is an interesting sort of mental difference between an old person and a new person i think this is a new charles's corner on tiktok yeah yeah okay i think we've been segueing out okay maybe my MVP, I'm not going to tell you that, but uh, Vincent Cancel, Eurodance is his way to steal an egg. Surely you speak of the Night Fox. <laughs> I don't know. I call him Vincent Cancel. Can we Cancel. just like, step back and say, Steven Soderbergh is a fucking genius. Yeah. And this movie is such an accomplishment. Like, it's so passionately ridiculous. And it's like, it's so funny to me that like Wes Anderson bases his entire existence on like meticulously recreating, you know, a Truffaut movie, often literally. And then like Soderbergh is like, and now I'm going to do a Euro pastiche and just dives into this thing with just with such reckless abandon. Yeah. And by the time there's the way storylines are introduced and then dropped with such abandon is so refreshing because like most people watching this, when you get to the Night Fox plotline, I know some people who are like, yeah, why was there a whole other movie in the middle? Of them. I'm like the Night Fox. Yes, it's this, the Night it's, Fox. Like when you go to Europe, that's the guy. There's a European Danny, right? He's, that's their like. What was that Hitchcock movie? To Catch a Thief, you know, and yes. Lupin, Lupin the Third. Like all this European, um, just like cat burglar shit, and the Pink Panther. Like it's so funny to see Soderbergh drop our American Vegas boys into a a centuries old history of an idiot stealing shit from rich people and then they're just like yeah we did it like on the train before you even got here bud it's so it's, funny it's just funny i love it's this amazing fucking movie. i love this movie one the sign that this is a good movie is that my my smile muscles hurt like this is a movie where you're just unconsciously just like having so much fun that you're just smiling for two hours or at least i was i know amy and uh, Allie might not have been, but yes, this movie literally drove our partners from the room. Not <laughs> they I did think... it nicely. They're like, I'm just feeling a little tired. Yeah, they both very respectfully let us down, which was fine. And I get like, you know, the thing about this movie, unlike again, the first movie is like it's like a slide. You get on it and you just whisk oh, yeah. your way down. This is a dense fucking movie. This is like it's one of the densest movies I've ever seen. I think like right, the amount this... of shit happening is ridiculous the cinematography is adds to it i you, normally i'm not like a huge fan of the shaky cam era but this was i think pre preceded most of that and is like it just means you feel like you're in the room which is why it's so i don't know this movie bends reality in a way that most movies are too afraid to even try 
Well, because he goes between like the classic Soderbergh where we're going to watch one side of a conversation and linger on someone's face and, and, mm-hmm. and like, which I love. And he does it in many of his movies. And it's, I think, just so effective. Obviously, you know, that Jonathan Demme, Paul Thomas Anderson. I'm usually a fan of directors who, you know, let's linger on this face because like, you know, you're, you're really gazing into this weird mirror that is media. And I love that. But then he works in all of this like, you know, new wave French, like ridiculous jump cuts, strange montages like repetition 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 there's that one like i understand that if you don't like smug filmmaking this is the antithesis to your existence this is gloriously smug in a way that i as a smug person adore but there's that one shot where they're all in the prison cell and they all pass a look around the room and you keep waiting for this to like resolve somewhere but it just goes back to the start yeah it just goes all the way around that's the whole thing like it's who does that? I mean, this, it's so fucking the funny. shot where they're all like getting arrested, I think, and just like huge like Euro zoom into every yes, fucking he person. smash cuts into, <laughs> into everyone's everyone. Face. And again, there's literally there's like a dozen people of them, and all we do is we get for probably two minutes just super zooming in on people. It's fucking amazing. Well, it's funny because I think. What we've often found in the work we do in the podcast, and again, if you're a longtime listener, you'll know what I'm about to say. The second movie often, we often see franchises try to double down on what worked and then overshoot it because they're so cocky and so confident. This is the opposite. Right. Where Soderbergh's like, you know, again, to, we were talking in the last episode how in that interview he dispenses with the one for them, one for me thing, and he's like, "Look, this is my fucking movie. I, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make something that's crowd pleasing." This is not a crowd pleaser. It's confusing. It's dense. You Tonally, it flies around. You don't see the heist, and yeah. the heist is like so subverted that it's uh, it. As I said earlier, like it takes place on the train. It's like a three second thing where they get into a fight over the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox, and in that kerfuffle, Linus steals it, and that's it. There's no like the first one is so fucking elaborate. It's super fun. I love a heist movie, but this is like. What if the heist was unimportant? What if you don't really understand? There's two or three heists in the movie, and you don't see any of them, except for uh, Vincent Cassell dancing. Like, that's the most elaborate this movie gets for how the heists are done. And it's also done as such a ludicrous pastiche that's so cartoonish and silly that it's almost like like, like you trip out in the middle of the movie, or all of a sudden... You're full on watching what in any other movie would be this deathly serious, like, oh, the majestic ability of the master thief to to waltz between the laser beams. But we're watching this like fucking Euro trash dance remix of like Vincent yeah. Cassell. Like, it's so silly and ludicrous and meaningless. The whole joke at the end is that he did all that shit for nothing. Yeah. There was and, like there was actually and like I know I, 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 I I've been saying Occam's razor a lot lately, but that's the joke that the end they're like, yeah, that's in a backpack. We should get the backpack. Yeah, we, that was it. Yeah, that was it. And then, then the whole thing, it's like, oh, he's watching, so you got to make sure he knows. It's like, it's so stupid. Like, it doesn't matter, but it's for us. It's not right. that Vincent was watching. It's that we're watching, and we need to be surprised. Yeah. And, and, and let me, you know, let me explain this in terms that guys like, you know, us will understand. In 1972, the Grateful Dead were at this sort of, like, tour-tested pinnacle of powerful, strong playing with, with like, a very sort of set, direct, kind of, like, more systematic and less variable set lists and performance styles. But in 73, 74, baby, it's shaggy, man. It's melted. It's jazzier. It's all over the place. Mm. I love that in the first movie we get, like, the lean machine, and then this movie's just, like gloriously fucking messy in a way that would annoy you maybe if you're looking for this like very prescriptive film experience but as like this you know just like a sitting in in the seat like trying to take it all in like it, it, i got exhilarated by how silly it is like catherine zeta jones's dad is the master thief in the end and none of that's really explained or dealt with and who fucking gives a shit it's just a great moment and like these things come and go. Why does the Master Thief like Danny more than the Night Fox? It's not entirely clear. It doesn't really matter. Like nothing really matters in this. Like they're theoretically, you know, evil Andy Garcia's back with his cool cane to yeah. to say like, oh, was I'm that a putter? It looks a lot like a putter because we saw him putting in the first movie. Yeah. And, like, he just shows up to be like, if you don't pull off these heists, I'll kill you. And then, then like, it's actually not that big of a deal and it's fine. And, like, this is so – this this is a smug victory lap, but it's so – it's so 
liberated. It's so free. Yeah. You know? No, the, my the, yeah, my letterbox review is like Steve doubles down on what everyone else wouldn't. I'm going to do my letterbox score right now because no. I didn't do it last That's night. What so, would you give it? I gave it five. Yeah, I'm going to give it five It's just too. a fucking perfect movie because it's like, it's a perfect sequel because it doesn't just repeat. It uses everything that worked in the first one. I was like, I think you're right. Most people are like, let's take what works and just ride with that. And he's like, I'm going to throw away everything that worked and figure out what else, like what actually worked about what these characters did together. And he figured out something that's even better. Like I was talking about in the first one, I think I sort of misspoke and said that like, you don't really get like, here's the driver, here's the shotgun guy. But you sort of do, they all like, you know, there's the guy that can fit in the bag and there's the, I think the British guy is a demolitions expert. So they all sort of have their skill, even though it's pretty loose. Here, there is no skill. Like there's no one... You can tell no one apart from the other other than that they just like, you know, they're different people, but they don't actually have any skills that are helpful. They're just guys now. We've just stripped them of their suits, except for maybe Brad Pitt. And they're just guys. And it's, it's really wonderful. But we're also seeing them where it's like, you know, Danny Ocean's insecure because they think he's like, you guys think I'm old? Like, oh, instead instead of showing it, I almost thought of Refn in a way where like, rather than the whole beauty of Only God Forgives is the meta narrative of the movie, which is, okay, you didn't get what I was saying about Ryan Gosling and Drive, so now I'm going to make it absolutely unmistakable what I was trying to say about male frailty and fragility and vanity and, you know, the the catharsis of violence being this, like, juvenile, sad expression of, like, a, a lonely, isolated person. So, like, in the first movie, if we're seeing all these guys as the coolest they could possibly be, in this one, Brad Pitt's a shitty boyfriend. Danny's whole fucking plan basically falls apart and he has to like scramble to figure out a solution to it. Everyone's just sort of miserable and dejected and confused. They keep getting arrested. I mean, but technically all that's a part of the plan. I mean, sort so of. It doesn't, but like, but that's the thing is it doesn't matter. Like, that's the thing. We like them because they were cool and their plan worked in the first one. And here it's still their plan, but their plan is to be losers because they're like, oh, we're just in Europe. What's the best they got is Vincent Cassell in a shitty tie. No, but, but I'm saying the beauty. The, the, while that is ultimately part of the plan, we're basically seeing like lots and lots of failure yeah. and, and, and audibles and figuring shit out. Um, there's so much to talk about in this movie. Uh, can I give my MVP early? Is that allowed? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. My MVP is Mr. Matt Damon. Yeah. He was almost my MVP in the first one. So he, the, the story heading into this movie, when you're going to love this, classic Sodi. You like a Sodi? You want to pop a Sodi? I don't like a Sodi, but I like Soderbergh. I I'm, I used to love I love Soderbergh. No, 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 I'm talking about okay, I'm talking about Soderbergh, not Soda. Don't need to hear about Soda. Right well, now. I used to like Soda. Okay, this, is this an interesting story? No, but okay. I don't anymore. Okay, well, thank you. That's good. I We're really gonna crack don't. open a cold Sodi here. Matt Damon's like, hey, um, I'm exhausted from the Born Identity. I've been jumping. Freaking oh, Peter yeah. Greengrass got me jumping all over the fucking place. Too much jumping. Too much jumping. Um, I don't want to do so much. And Soderbergh was like, fuck no. Linus is huge in this movie. So the joke is, in this movie, Linus deliberately requests that he's a bigger part in the movie after Matt Damon requested to be a smaller part of the movie because Soderbergh is a motherfucker, and that's so funny. That is but, hilarious. Uh, Matt Damon's mastery of... I do like a Sodi now. Yeah, okay. That was great. Yeah. The, the the fact that like Damon is in such we talked about in the first movie you know Damon isn't necessarily playing a loser or a shithead but he's playing like a meeker more diminished junior member of this team yeah. and then and he has this, his moment and he has his moment yeah and in this he gets to like gloriously be a full on fucking dipshit like just like a dipshit in a way that's so beautiful everyone is it's so great everyone is but he really just he joins the dipshittery right like i love his, that his scene. pathetic request to brad pitt on the plane to be a bigger part of the plan when hagrid uh and them in the bar are are doing some elaborate cool criminal guy prank on him and he quotes cashmere by led zeppelin um I don't know. And then, that of course, when so he actually good. steps in to fill in as the actual leader, I love that, you know, again, maybe we want a, a more boring director would do like a Fast and the Furious thing where it's like lots of like grunting and competing for the mm -hmm. masculine role. Right. But like when Linus steps into that role, he's like terrible at it from the beginning. And everyone's like and like a, a basher and uh and company everyone's like no you're the leader just just don't fuck this up and like it's just so funny like everyone's just like sort of sympathetic to him being a shithead and again it all leads us to what is 
the, the whole meta commentary of the first movie that we talked about in the last episode was this idea of like, what if we made an unabashed Hollywood movie where the whole thing is wink, wink, wink. This is just going to be, you know, after this, this 90s era of the indie film, we're going to make an indulgent, star studded, luxurious Hollywood movie. And the core joke in this movie that is so fucking brilliant and, and such a fuck you and so annoying is the Julia Roberts plot, which is a triumph. This was mm. a this is a hundred and ten million dollar movie. This is like this is one of the you know this is this was a cultural event when the sequel to this beloved movie comes out, and he has something so self referential and stupid and silly at the core of it. it I, every time I watch it, it's like it's like talk about this being a heist movie, like I was saying earlier. I just feel like the soda, you know, the crisp mm-hmm. soda cracked mm-hmm. open. Yeah, I like it now. He he just that's just such an accomplishment. How do you do that? Yeah. And you, you, I. The joke is even more layered because you told me last episode that Bruce Willis was considered as the role for Danny Ocean, and here he comes in in this like much in like the player, where it's like no, we're just gonna get Bruce in for a little Bruce action because really, what's what's Bruce? I like I leaned over to you, I was like, man, Bruce is a really good actor, and you're like, well, if he's being Bruce, and you're like, oh, oh yeah. Bruce is Bruce. The end of the Bruce player is, is one so of the funniest. Traffic. I, I hit traffic. That's so funny. <laughs> but yeah, he basically does the same thing, but for, for like ten minutes in this movie, and it's oh, it's it's a level. It's like it's so meta that it becomes strangely fictional again. It like just sort of becomes even weirder. Where it's well, if the criticism of the series is like, oh, this is just you know masturbatory Hollywood wankery at its most like transparent, the joke. Oh, Julia Roberts' character Tess looks a lot like Julia Roberts. She should pretend to be Julia Roberts. That, like only someone in Soderbergh's position who would find that that funny and have that much backing from the Hollywood apparatus to do. Like, how do you get away with that? Like, it's such an accomplishment. It is, and we still don't have like cell phones in movies because because they don't know really how that works. But Soderbergh twenty years ago is like. Let's upend reality and have Julia Roberts be not Julia Roberts in a movie where she pretends to be Julia Roberts. Like, we like people. I, I was reading like Murakami. He rarely references like actual type. Like, we hate that. Artists never like reference things that are actually happening in real life. Dennis Cooper does. Yeah, brave people do. But like this idea that as soon as you start using elements from the real world, your like fiction becomes like easier to pin down or something this is like the so extreme that it it just total it's like i've never really seen anything quite like it to this point yeah it's a like this like defiant postmodernist moment in this movie where like it, it is this mastery of the genre where like it just twists your perspective so much in such a casual obvious way i don't it, it's just it's really daring filmmaking like you're begging for people to hate your fucking movie, right? If you're doing that, yeah, and it's got so many people in it. It's huge budget. It's a sequel to a movie that everyone loved, and he's just like, I'm gonna make the one that everyone hates, right? And it, it, that's such. And then like, the, then all of a sudden, the, like everyone, t- the the running bit of people in the middle of a conversation with Bruce Willis explaining when they figured out the twist in The Sixth Sense. Yeah, that's so funny. It's so good. Like, it's it, that. It's just like he. We laughed so much at this movie, uh-huh. and like the first movie has like a, I think you're, it's more of like a like a like a you know it's there's cute fun cool right. exchanges. Writing, this is like funny. The writing in the first one is very scripted, and I think that's what a lot of people really liked about it. I liked it too, but it's like the dialogue is very like back and forth. It's you know Ebert was like it reminded me of my foggy youth <laughs> and watching Bacall and Bogey, and it's like this movie has jump cuts during dialogue scenes i think it's got a camera work where it's just it's just you don't really know what you're supposed to be focused on it was that wonderful era of filmmaking even though it happened just like two years later where everyone is talking over each other i guess it's sort of like altman-esque in that way it's just like the opposite he just like like i'm gonna do the exact i'm gonna get the exact same cast i'm just gonna do the opposite because let's see what happens this time i'm really excited for the third one like what else can you do with this um, so this is interesting. Vincent Cassell is a capoeira expert and did that dance himself. Amazing. Yeah. He, How mean, would you describe the shape of Vincent Cassell's face? Like an upside down triangle? Like a I mean, snake? Triangles don't have to be. Like... But I'm saying normally we expect the base of the pyramid hey and man, it to be toppy. Speak for yourself. Okay. 
How would you describe the shape of Vincent Cassell's very weird smooth face? Upside down triangle. Okay, yeah, that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, no, I see what you say. I love Vincent Cassell. He's one of my favorite actors. Have you seen La Haine? I've not seen La Haine, though. Uh, we gotta watch La Haine. Yeah, that's... Uh, who did the music for that? I don't know. That's gonna kill me. I was just thinking about this. So. Whatever. Now I want to see Lane. We got to watch uh, "Our Day Will Come." That movie by the guy who did that MIA video. It's basically like a two-hour version of that about redheads getting marched off to like concentration camps. Is it symbolic? I don't think so. Actually, I think that's why I like it. <laughs> it's just about rounding it's up like, It's like it's like exactly. It's like <laughs> this should be symbolic, but it's not. It's just about Vincent Cassell and this other guy who shave their heads and go be violent together. I want to talk about the shape of this movie because it's so. There's we we've just so rarely encountered. There's just so few movies like this where one of like to get the sense of the tone of this movie. There's that one make or break moment. I want to know if it stood out to you. Where at this point we're like, okay, they're gonna like do some heists, I guess, uh, you know, yeah. and they're in Europe and they're like, there's no way to to make that shot to get that code in that agoraphobic man's apartment with the secret with with the special like fucking corporate like whatever there's some MacGuffin where it's like we got to get the thing and there's like there's no that shot's impossible unless we raise the foundation of the building using a series like it it presents the most ludicrous possible solution to a problem and then everyone just responds to it like it is the most normal regular thing that's ever happened and it's not the big thing in the movie they just like casually raise a house two inches to do one ludicrously silly thing with a fucking crossbow and then you don't see you don't see any of it i mean you do see it in flashback but you don't see the raising you do see the raising. no you see um the guy swimming underneath a bunch of you know jacks but you don't actually see like the action okay whatever that's charles being pedantic but yes, no, no my do. point is that you don't like you don't see this like amazing shot of like the building rising you know that's true you don't really see you see this the shot but it's like it's just also lost in everything else that's happening and it's not the focus well and then even better katherine katherine zeta jones who's probably my runner-up uh, for MVP because she's fucking delightful in this. The bit of her, and again, going into Soderbergh fully embracing like a Euro movie, like she has like two elaborate flashback or like three elaborate flashback things as she like, when she finds the crossbow, she goes, hmm, ah, and then in flashback we see like three different chunks where she remembers her conversation with Brad Pitt when they were dating and first met about the strategy, the implementation of the house raising strategy, and then the realization that the Night Fox is involved. That's all while she stands there looking at a hole in the wall. Yeah. What the fuck? And I, I can imagine if you were going into this being like, mm, I'm going to watch another cerebral thriller mm. from one of Hollywood's biggest brains. And it's just like the most fucking ridiculous cartoonish bullshit. And, and like a third of the way in, and it's like, what is this? But this time, knowing knowing how much more absurd it gets, I was just so delighted by the heightening that he does, where he just keeps heightening the absurdity of it. Yeah, like the building. It's much like he the building. He puts Dutch a jack building. under Ocean's Eleven and raises it up two feet. Ka-chunk, ka-chunk. Yeah, I, I mean, just starting, like, the the title card, we both, like, looked at each other. It's like, this is just, no other American $100 million budget would have, like, a thin sans serif font up here that just says Oceans 12. And yeah. It feels very much like a 70s, like, European title card. And, man, this is 2004, so it's been three years, and uh, he's... It just... I don't know. Like, I, the, the third movie is more of a return to the first movie than it is a departure compared to this one. But, you know, it does make you... We've often talked about on the show how one of our great fantasies for every series is put it in fucking space. Like, go to space. Jesus, you want him to to, to fucking heist space heist? Big space heist, yeah. Wow. Like, you've seen Solo? They heist the... They heist the I didn't co- watch that the part. Qua- the quaglium. I didn't do it. The quaxiolium. I didn't like it. And it's they gotta steal it from the space train. I left early. Woody Harrelson in it. Um, but no, so like, I love that Soderbergh's like, for my sequel, we're going to fucking Europe. Yeah. Like, it's just like... I, I don't know. To me, when we talk about what this whole podcast is about, this is the dream movie. Unrepentant, shaggy, progressive, not precious, defiant, victorious. Like, this is what... Right. I mean, it also, it starts with them getting caught. Like, that's the last thing you want from your heroes is to be like, oh, they actually didn't get away with it. The big heist 
Well, uh, Andy Garcia just immediately said, I'm going to kill you if you don't give me my money back. It's, it's like such a funny way to start where normally the heist is like you get away with it and you get to live out your life with a million dollars. But even more so in the first movie, we get like the archetypal putting together the team thing. Mm-hmm. And in this, we get the opposite where Benedict one at a time tracks them down to essentially imprison them in this obligation. It's so to pay great. Them it's like the opening to like Sorcerer, except 15 times as long. So long. Yeah, because like, uh, just everything, Soderbergh doesn't ever be like, he embraces the 12. He's like, he's not afraid to spend way too much time making sure that, well, if I'm doing it for one of them, I'm just going to have to do it for all of them in a lot of those scenes. And yeah, just like that spinning shot and all the conversations, just, there's excess of stuff that no one really wants. And, and that's perfect. the beauty because one of the one of the stupid sour grapes reviews that you'll read is from the Washington Post where they're like, "Well, the end twist means that the whole all the good faith you invested in the plot meant nothing." <laughs> and it's like, bro, it's a fucking movie, you yeah. shithead. Like you're implying that there's this implicit idea that this has to be a logical airtight thing. And Soderbergh's like, "Nah, fuck it. This is a blast. We're having a fucking blast. It's so fun. It's fun. Like he, he luxuriates in this world of like criminals. And I think this movie." The question is like, the boring question is always like, is this better or worse than its predecessor? The more interesting question I think we've often tried to dig into, does this expand the world that we are enjoying? And this, I think this is just such a beautiful expansion. Right. And this is an interesting one where it's, it's like, it's expanding in uh, like movie making rather than in the story because the story is the same. He just shows it in a way that is so different than the first one. And the writing is so different because at the end of the day, it's a bunch of guys heist something. And the first one, the movie was all about the heist and it was so exciting to see how they figure it out. And this one, it's all about just how bullshit that is. And they both work. Yeah. I mean, it's like the first movie is such a carefully fabricated celebration of of the artifice of movies where it's like a movie is a heist a movie is a magic trick a movie like all the stories and performances that we see like it is artifice and that's wonderful you can make the glossiest most delightful artifice in the world and it's wonderful but by the same token you know you want to detonate that you want to see all the seams and all the cracks and see all the seemingly useless stuff and also revel in that. And I feel like it is Soderbergh making this incredible statement in the studio system where he's like, yeah, the first movie, that's one way to celebrate movie making in this movie. I'm going to celebrate a completely different Avenue of what, what makes movies fucking great. It's not about this being an airtight plot that makes sense. And you can chart out that's stupid. It's a series. It's a fucking, you know, this, this whiz of moving pictures and, and quips and sexy people and surprises. And it's all one big, beautiful mess. And, it's just so lovely that he took the opportunity with a sequel with so much to lose, you know, coming off of a huge commercial hit. And this does very well. This makes like, you know, like over 350. Like it does great. Yeah. Not as good as the first movie, but that's often a sequel issue. But uh, I don't know. It's just it's just a fucking blast. I'm going to listeners probably remember I had a big beef with the first one. Um, you know, I was I did get an award afterwards from um a woman and because I, I was it's an anti the first one's an anti-woman movie yeah and, and you stood up to misogyny big, big, which is sort big of big man i stood up to big man yeah you said i'm a little man i'm a manlet yeah you know what i don't like what you're doing here to these ladies i'm excited for eight by the way um this i'm going to tell you my mvp which is Catherine zeta jones and i re- i like this it's sort of this movie helps me see maybe more i don't want to go full diehard but it's like the first one is so much of a like look back at American movies, like trying to recreate that whole identity with just like lots of stars playing off of the tropes. So it makes sense that the whole like heart of the movie is this like shitty love story because that's what the heart of 50s, 60s, 70s American movies were. I really like the story between Brad Pitt and Catherine Zeta Jones. I think that's a much more interesting relationship. And it's to me like the really the bridge that connects everything. And it really worked. And she's she fucking is so good in this movie. And the weird relationship with her dad and how it all relates. I don't know. I think it's a much better... I don't know if it's more European. Maybe it is. But Well, I think it's the narrative is more European where we're seeing these like different fragments of everybody's relationships where everyone kind of gets their own little weird zone where we see Tess and Danny's 
a domestic life and we see a little more backstory to Rusty and, and his what he what kind of a partner Rusty makes, which is to say a bad one because he is an asshole. And we see, you know, Matt Damon. We meet Matt Damon's mom. We meet Linus's mm-hmm. mom. Uh, Clint Eastwood was supposed to cameo as his father. Didn't pan out. Wow. That would have been so funny. That would have been perfect. Um, so, yeah, I, I think like, you know, seeing that love story emerge as these two people caught up in this world of crime. And like that it's, it's definitely, it has so much more nuance and elegance to it. I totally agree than the Tess Danny relationship in the first movie, which is much more uh, conservative comparatively. And yeah, like I love that this is sort of like two equals matching wits and expressing their, their fascination with each other through their fascination with the endless cat and mouse game. You know, that is very beautiful. The ending isn't really clear what happens with that relationship. Yeah, she's like hanging out with the criminals, which is, which is a blast for her. She loves yeah, criminals. That, well, <laughs> the, the handshaking shit again. It's like she shakes everyone's hand in that scene. Yeah, it's so funny, so um, silly. Okay, a couple little moments we have to talk about. Uh, the sweaty, twitchy tech guy who's fucking fantastic in both movies. He's I can't remember the actor's name. Me neither. He's he's a Soderbergh legend. Yeah, he is Soderbergh stock cast. Um, his. Again, in the in the intro where Benedict is going around catching all the guys in their stupid indulgences post Ocean's Eleven, the absolute scene stealer <laughs> is him yeah. doing stand up dressed as a matador, <laughs> doing prop doing, work, doing a joke about his mom. <laughs> it is it is just like again, like if you're settling into like. A, you come off the first movie and it's 2004 you've watched the dvd a million times it's like oh this sleek effortless like flawless masterpiece and then you get to this moment where a guy's doing objectively the worst stand-up in the world dressed as a matador and like i can't imagine for the more straight-laced types like what you're like what the fuck is this and then that amazing cut where he goes, thanks for letting me finish. Yeah. And Andy Garcia goes, well, you're a funny guy. You're a funny guy. It's just like the, the amount of stupid dead ends in the movie that are so wonderful or like the simple little joke where I guess on Ocean's Eleven, the, the call time at 11 p.m. saying it was 5 a.m. was like a prank that Clooney would do. Clune Dog, legendary prank master. So Soderbergh works it into this movie. Yeah. And the joke is just that the Night Fox does like an absolute like middle school level prank on them by like waking them up early before the big thing. Like it's it's petty and stupid and silly. And like it's that's, that's the whole point. It's so the, good. That's what this movie is. It's like you thought the first one was like so smart, so cool. Well, here's a just a dumb, childish version of the same characters. Yeah, I think that's also part of like the thing about being a fan of anything where it's like you have to have if you're a real fan you have to have the grit to be like maybe all this is fucking stupid right and you have to love things at their most stupid i think to appreciate the good things about what makes that medium so powerful so the fact that this movie is as like frivolous in a glorious way look we're repeating ourselves here i think we've covered a lot of ground this is a triumph it is it's it's better it's it is better I think it's like, but it needs it's this is why sequels are so important is that you can't start with this. This movie would make no sense if there was no Ocean's Eleven. All of its subversions and uh, weird negations and backtracking. And yeah, because it's all it's like it's in a way subverting a genre. So it might make it like, oh, it's like an anti heist movie, but it's really an anti Ocean's Eleven movie. Like it's so much more that than an anti heist movie. And, and talk about playing with house money to, to borrow a, a gambling parlance. But Soderbergh's like. I made this fucking smash hit. All these stars love me. They'll all work with me again. There's no way we're not getting a third one. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. And it's <laughs> That's glorious. so true. It's glorious. And so, another yeah. thing I love is that I think a lot of other people have been like, well, it's Ocean's 12. You got to make it very clear who the new like 12th person is. That is as unclear as everything else in the movie. It's like one guy drops out, there's three or four new people, and it's like, no, it's it's called Ocean's 12 precisely because it's the next one. It's not there's a 12th person anymore. It's just like, it's just, that's what you call Ocean's 11 next one. Yeah, uh, and fucking Elliot Gould is more Elliot Gould than ever in this oh movie. Oh my god, he wears a bow tie now in he every scene? He just swings for the fences every time he opens his fucking mouth. <laughs> he turns up the nebbishy Jewish thing to like an 11. It's amazing. So, I mean, let me ask you a, a silly question, because I feel like it's not a lot of suspense here. Are you asking when will it end? No, I always have to think about it just a little bit to make sure I'm answering correctly. Because the no is means I'm right. yes. The no is a yes, but no. It's like when you get the medical results. Right. Yeah. It's good that it's no. It's good that yeah. it's no. So yeah, no, this is uh I don't even give a shit if it if it sucks, if it goes back to being the same as one. Like 
they've earned enough extra credits for me to sit through a boring Oceans movie, but I'm just, like, I didn't know that I was going to have this much fun. I should have known. I really should have known, but every, like, fucking James Kahn's son, whatever his name Scott is, Con. is somehow even better in this one. Everyone is just... I don't know if they all knew was like, do you think they all like knew exactly what was happening or is that part of the charm is that it's just like guys in a room. The charm slash criticism. I think another one of the quotes from some joyless ding dong is like "Uh, the way this is gone by ocean 17. Everyone will work for one day then go home. Yeah. It's like, you know what? If that makes a good movie, (laughs) fucking fine. I don't give a shit. Um, But yeah, no, I I think I bet you at this point they're like, yeah, Steve's got, he's got a plan. I don't know. You know, you're having fun. I mean, like, I'm like, I think there's this like sad, like, christian like suffering narrative about like how things need to be agonizing and it's like this clearly was a fucking blast like you know and like let's have more of that energy i am also not asking one world end uh the third one i have seen the least of the three they make a great casting decision that i'm really excited about and i couldn't be more excited maybe yeah this series has been just a blast maybe this is this will and you've only seen it once the third one yeah yeah a long time ago cool this will be fun i'm i'm already excited yeah i think I my I was almost going to do a cheeky thing where I give the like editing crew MVP because I think they had a big part. One I was sort of I was musing about like you know what each of these actors was thinking about, but so much of the energy of this movie is through the camera work and through the editing. And I don't even know if they really understood how like when they're talking how they're not really being seen and how it's a big mess. It's just like it's such a messy style of filmmaking that is incredible so i'm i'm really curious to see who's coming along for the next one well all, all the symmetry of the first movie is just like right completely ejected yeah this is a lumpy misshapen sprawling yeah. movie this and it makes no apologies like the camera is always showing you exactly in the first one and this one is just like it's in the same way that you never see a heist really and you never know who's talking and it's just like it doesn't matter what you see is sort of the point. It's just like, here you are. You're along for the ride. You should be fucking thanking me that I get, you're allowed to come along and do 12 with me. It's wunderbar. Steve, you're, you're a lovely, I want to watch, we should watch Skitsopolis soon. Okay. I'm happy to do some Sodiberg. Yeah. Uh, the, bonus stuff. the Matador guy is like a huge character in that. For our Patreon. Why Ooh, won't it end? Yeah, Look it up. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Charles, great episode. I feel pretty good about this. Let's one. give ourselves an award. <laughs>